Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is August 23rd, 2021, and this is episode 328. My name is Jake English. And I'm Scott Magnus. And on this week's show, we will go slowly and sadly around the bases, and while doing so, just just question it all. I will also reflect back on you know Chris Davis announcing his retirement, because... We haven't got to pontificate about that sadness as well. And we'll get to all that sadness right after we lubricate the show. It's time for the drink of the week. Scott Magnus, what is your drink of the week? Uh, So, Jake, it is now August 23rd. Uh, There is a big release pending tomorrow. Big release pending tomorrow. I know you're excited about it. Jake, tomorrow starts the official start of fall with pumpkin spice lattes coming to a Starbucks near you. So, Jake, in honor... I'm drinking a dogfish head pumpkin ale because fall has started. So might as well start drinking the fall beers. I'm going back on vacation. (laughs) I'm uh, working my way through the truth this evening, the Imperial IPA from Flying Dog. After having spent a week at the beach, uh, day drinking on light beers, that would have made you very, very angry. Yep. Actually, while I was down there at the Outer Banks, I had a couple of beers from the Carolina Brewing Company, which were mostly... Mostly okay. Mostly okay. Mostly okay. Mostly okay. All right. Oh, I mean, they're Masson beers in the Carolina area, so, I mean, how could they go wrong? If you're interested to see what we are drinking on a daily, weekly, whatever basis, come join us on Untapped. I'm at Jake E4025. I'm at MAGN8606. And with that, it's time for a checkup. All right, so the medical wing is normally filled with disaster, misery, and woe, but there's been plenty of that on the field as of late, so we don't have to cover that. So let's cover some good news, folks, uh, in Orioles baseball. Heston Kerstad resumed activities as of last Friday, um, you know, going out there, you know, taking some baseball activities. This is great news. I mean, I understand, you know, if you look at the whole Heston Kerstad thing, you would love to have him be a little bit further along. But the fact of the matter is, him just getting back onto the baseball field at all uh, is a major win uh, for the Baltimore Orioles organization, and in reality for Heston Kerstad as well. So, um, you know, when this came across, I was super excited about it. Um, you know, not even from the prospect rankings. I'm still surprised that Kerstad is ranked so high um, in the prospect rankings. Um, but this is just a great story for Kerstad, and it's going to be really interesting to see if he is able to manage it, if he's able to put in the offseason routine if he is able to start at single A next year, um, what a great story it would be for Kerstad to see him develop um, oh. all through 2022. Absolutely. I mean, this was this was a condition that could have been career-ending or, or worse. Yeah. Um, and so to, to have him on a baseball field is phenomenal. Yeah, like I said, um, it could be really be truly a, a, the big, like, you know, it could be like the Mancini-like story within 2022. We'll have to see what happens, but... Just great that he was able to kind of take these first steps and, you know, just do something that he loves to do. We, we don't have to, you know, 
keep having these stories. We don't, we don't have to have a Mancini-like story every year. It would be okay to not do that. Oh, no. We've got to have you know sad tribulations on a yearly basis. Um, one thing that does typically come up in the medical wing are potholes. Potholes always come up, specifically during the Duquette Showalter era. Uh, and Bruce Zimmerman had some kind of accident in the weight room or something like that, apparently. And he had to scratch his start. And now... He's dealing with a severe right ankle sprain and could miss the entire rest of the season. Was he working out with Abaldo Jimenez? I'm thinking that he had to be working out for Abaldo Jimenez, either stepped in the pothole that you know should have been filled in by now. But I, you have to think, like, someone dropped a weight on him. Like, that's the only thing I can think of that would cause him to have this much of an injury. Look, somebody dropped a weight and it broke a mirror and scared away a black cat. Uh, or it was just a really bad Pilates day. I don't know what it was, but uh, really odd to be like, all right, Bruce Zimmerman's going to start uh, and then getting scratched and then being told, well, he probably is out for the rest of the season. Just a really odd scenario with Bruce Zimmerman. Well, I look forward to seeing him next season. Yeah. Uh, and Hunter Harvey, uh, we, we, we've been talking about the Orioles and who, still alive, huh? Still alive. Okay. I mean, we were expecting to see something from Hunter Harvey in order to basically, um, you know, determine what his future was going to be. Um, he's scheduled to pitch an inning or two in Triple A Norfolk um, in the near future. So yeah, he's still alive, but barely breathing. So yeah, uh, another individual that we had high promise for coming into the bullpen this year. Um, not really the case. So. Yeah, I mean, that's basically it for the medical wing. There's a few bits and drabs here and there, but those are the big names out of the medical wing. Um, why don't we go to 280 characters or less this week on the Twitters? Jake, why don't you start us off? Scott, I mentioned the black cat, and I really should have gone further. This is a tweet that comes to us from Mark Viviano, at Mark WJZ, and it deals with the supernatural. During this pause, P-A-W-S, in the action... It's noted on Yankees broadcast tonight that this cat ran onto the field in the Bronx during the O's last victory, a 7-1 win in New York on August 2nd. Since then, the O's, 0-18. The Yankees, 16-3. Michael K. would have said, catastrophic. <laughs> catastrophic. Catastrophic. For the O's. Catastrophic. <laughs> Hashtag rebuild at WJZ. Um... Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's great. That's yeah. fine. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, our next tweet comes from Rich Dubroff. You can follow him at Rich Dubroff MLB or Rich Dubroff at AOL.com. Uh, he tweets as follows. Matt Harvey, I've been on losing teams, but nothing like this. Hashtag Orioles. Ouch. When you've got a former Mets player saying such <laughs> things, it's a bad look. Matt Harvey's like, Wow. The nights do get really dark around here. <laughs> There's supposed to be a dawn coming, right? Guys, where's the dawn? He was born into it. <laughs> I was born in it. <laughs> Our next tweet comes from Jordan Mountcastle at NaturallyCats11 on this account. Uh, just woke up. Did the cartoon bunny from Arthur make another fascinating observation that the Orioles are bad? And I said, hey, what a terrible kind of day. If you can learn to write and troll and be one with all of Birdland. Arthur's been canceled, too. My I mean, kids, that's terrible news. My kids are young enough that I know that that bunny's name is Buster. Yeah. Woof. I'm not proud of that. I've said many things I'm not proud of on this podcast, and that is... <laughs> that that is, is one? That's up there. 
All right. Well, uh, in, in big news, Jake, we've got to talk about this tweet from Nathan Ruiz. You can follow him at Nathan S. Ruiz. Zach Birdie, today's Orioles waiver claim, was DFA'd by the White Sox so they could add Mike Wright to their roster. The Mets called up Chan Sisko today. The Rays called up Sean Armstrong today. And the same day, the Dodgers optioned Connor Green to activate Ed Phillips, who Connor Green now is back with the Baltimore Orioles after being optioned by the Dodgers. This is like the Orioles butterfly effect. It is the Orioles butterfly effect. But, Jake, good news. We have a new, new Mike Wright. A new, new Mike Wright. Yeah. Okay. Because Zach Birdie is the new, new Mike Wright. New, new Mike. You know who brought this to our attention? Who brought this to our attention? This uh, birthday boy. Birthday boy. Derek Arnold. Derek Arnold. Yeah. Like I said, I always appreciate that, um, you know, Derek is willing to fill us in on all Mike Wright news. Um, it's the kind of hard quality journalism that I expect from him. So uh, if there's anybody I trust to get my new, new Mike Wright news. Yeah. Did you know that Mike Wright is a big Nickelback fan, too? <laughs> I did know he was a big Harry Potter fan. Yeah, he is a big Harry Potter fan, too. Totally a help. Canadians and Harry Potter, they're pretty much the same thing. <laughs> all right. Any other tweets that we need to cover for this week? I think we've covered it all. I think I think we have inco- we've covered the entire internet. All right. Well, let's go ahead and go around the bases and try to make sense of it. It's been about two weeks since we've got behind it. There's been a lot of um, animosity, as it were. Uh, and let's cover a little bit of that. Scotty, being an Orioles fan is super fun right now. Super it's fun. Super fun. Super fun. And not just because the team has been weapons grade terrible. No. Because rooting for a terrible team means that you need to come into contact with other people who also root for that same terrible team. And right now, there's an ongoing conversation about whether the team should have tried to put a more palatable product on the field. And I feel like that conversation has been a little rancorous. Now, you and I, I, I think, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, um, I think you and I are, are on record here on, this, on the podcast and on Twitter as being of the opinion that it doesn't really matter. A 58-win team is indistinguishable from a 70-win team. Um, I've lived through years of the Orioles fielding a 71 or a 70-win or, or a sub-70-win team. and Some could say your best years. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. But the fans still complain, right? They still hate losing, and that's the case. And still didn't attend baseball games, and still didn't support the team from a revenue standpoint. The thing is, right now, they're rebuilding, and they're either going in the right direction or they're not. They're either getting there fast enough or they're not. And the rest of it just doesn't matter. The Orioles could be a full 20 games better. They could be 20 games better than they are right now and still be a distant 15 and a half games out of first place. Oof. And again, I think they'd be, what, like 11 or 12 games out from the wild card at that point, too. This team could be 20 games better in the standings and still not matter in baseball. Yeah. And and it just doesn't matter. And yes, it sucks to see the team lose. It sucks that they are horrifyingly outclassed. But let's not pretend that they haven't been outclassed before. And that a, a team even 20 games better than they are would still not be worth watching. Um. I, you know, I get it. 
it sucks. It sucks to watch the team lose and lose bad every night. I, I totally get that. But I would encourage Orioles fans not to turn on one another. And remember, try to keep the ongoing discussion as to whether or not you're just miserable or really miserable as um, as non-threatening as possible. Agree totally with this. And I think, you know, it is one thing that we have seen within the Birdland Twitterverse, specifically of a little bit more of these contentious arguments, as it were, in terms of a, a differing philosophy of how to play it. But just remember one thing, Birdland, never become Orioles Facebook. The moment we become Orioles Facebook, you're dead to us, okay? I will say that I've had plenty of really uh, civil enlightened conversations with people who disagree with me on this point, you know, voraciously. And, and it has been refreshing to have conversations with people where we walk away going, well, that guy's an idiot. No, when they walk away saying, okay, well, I don't agree with that and where it doesn't get ugly. So, you know, if you are that kind of fan, you know, go, go for it. I want to, I want to ask you this, Scott. Sure. The Orioles uh, are bad. Yes. Uh, yes, the Orioles are uh, very bad. Okay, just checking my notes here. If we don't like how bad the Orioles are, mm-hmm. is the issue the Orioles or is the issue the baseball structure in which the Orioles are operating? Por que no los dos? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I wonder if um, tanking, which you know the Orioles are clearly the only team that's ever done it, Yeah, I wonder if tanking will be... Um, made to be much difficult in the new uh, labor agreement. 0.0% chance. Just like the Orioles playoff odds at the beginning of the season, 0.0% chance. So when I think about anti-tanking measures, uh, you know, I think about right now there's a there's a um, an offer on the table of a, what, $100 million floor and $180 million ceiling. Never, ever, ever going to happen. Absolutely ridiculous so proposition never going to happen or not going to happen in the 2022 labor never ever ever going to happen huh okay i think i think it it will eventually happen in baseball i'll take it back this will happen in baseball eventually in the year 25 25 listen this is absolutely uh ridiculous i mean why would uh, Major League Baseball's Player Association agree to such a thing. Um, even looking back at some of the teams, like you're not going to get a third of owners to agree to that. You're not going to get two-thirds of owners. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't benefit either side. Uh, I understand where folks like Ken Rosenthal and Buster O'Neill are coming back and be like, well, ownership really wants to basically make sure that competitive – no, the ownership doesn't care about competitive baseball. Ownership cares about media rights, and they care – to a certain regard about merchandise. But that's all they are caring about is mer- media rights and merchandise. They're not caring about like, well, we really want a more parody league with a better run differential. They're not looking at that. Don't even, don't be ridiculous. Like no one cares about this. I mean, think about how bad teams like the Pirates have been um, since the 90s. Has everyone ever come back and been like, man, the Pirates really need to be better. What are we going to do in order to make teams like the Pirates more competitive? What have we done to make the athletics more competitive? I understand the athletics has still been able to go out there and compete on a year-in and year basis, but that doesn't mean that Major League Baseball is going their way saying, hey, Billy Bean was right about it after watching you know, Moneyball. 
we need to do something about this because, you know, I, I really admired him driving around in his Jeep and pontificating about how baseball really should be played. So what I'm hearing, absolutely ludicrous. What I'm hearing you say is not going to happen. Not going to happen. Again, if there was something in it for both sides, I could completely understand, but it, it just doesn't make any sense. Like if it was a, okay, well, we're going to raise the bottom threshold um, and, you know, keep the top threshold where it's at. Well, the players association shouldn't be all for that, but why were the owners? Mm-hmm. Why are you in essence limiting the top ceiling? And just basically just come back and saying, well, we're going to limit the ability for individuals to go out there and make 30 to $40 million contracts with $180 million. I mean, this comes back to, I hate to say it, the Chris Davis scenario where you look at teams that have to spend over 10% of their salary uh, on a single player, it puts them at a disadvantage. Why are you doing this? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Um, so, yeah, this is not going to happen in the offseason. There are bigger things to take care of uh, in this offseason uh, this isn't even going to scratch the surface. This might be talked about for two hours as a joke, uh, and it's going to be quickly moved on past it. I wonder if if this labor deal will be a short period. You know, buy themselves a little bit more time to get further away from COVID and then go back at it. Oh, I, I think that's absolutely the case. Of, um, I, I think we talked about this in terms of, um, you know, things being shut down and how long this is going to last. There may be a brief gap but i don't think it's going to be much of anything so um yeah. and, you, and you think no anti-tanking measures in the new deal zip okay zip okay so we are likely to have to deal not just here in baltimore but as uh as a sport with a structure that actually not I, rewards I, it i'm thinking about this again there may be an anti-tanking policy that will go into effect. Um, what I believe is going to happen is that if Major League Baseball determines that a team is tanking, they will send it to a review in New York, uh, and then they will send it to an arbitration panel uh, to be held by three teams within your division to make the determination of whether you're truly tanking or not. <sighs> this sounds familiar. It does sound familiar. Does the loser have to go to Nashville? Uh, no, the loser has to pay royalties to the Nationals in order to sustain uh, sustain them uh, and basically make sure that they're able to be competitive. All right, this is a lot of talking about losing. Yes. And so this is the segment where we usually go around the bases. And, Scotty, going around the bases would mean scoring runs. Absolutely. I can't handle going around the bases in the current climate, so we're going to go on a four-game losing streak. Sounds good. Let's go ahead to loss number one. And the question for loss number one is this. Is 21 in danger? <sighs> It's been two weeks. I it's asked been you, two weeks. I asked you on our last podcast during the bold predictions if it was possible that this team, the 2020 Orioles, yep. 2021 Orioles, might end up being the worst uh, with with the worst record in franchise history. Yep. Uh, we've skipped the show last week, and I said there is no chance. It's impossible. Like they're still going to win, like at least five or six more games in the season. They're going to get there. So. They haven't won since we had that conversation. Correct. <laughs> would you like to revisit your answer? I, I would not like to revisit my answer at this point. Okay. The franchise record is yes. 21 consecutive losses. Yes. Famously happened in 1988. Yep. Is that in danger? Yes. Okay. These are the real hard-hitting questions because I need you to, I need you to go deep into your feels. Yeah. Is there a part of you... That just wants to see them get to 22. No. 
There is no part of you that wants to see the Orioles world burn by setting a new record of futility. No. I, it doesn't do anything for me. It's there are some people that get really uh, worked up and like when they're driving past a car accident, they want to see what happened at the car accident. Me, I'm just driving straight ahead. I don't want to look at it. You know, I don't want to see the the horse cart that's been turned over on 95, and you know, the glue trucks coming down and trying to figure out how to make deal with the horse. No, I don't. I'm not interested in that. I know the rest the of the glue truck. Of course, you didn't know the glue still made from horses. Of course, it is. <laughs> I wasn't aware they had their own trucks. Of course, they do. It's I, a very profitable business. <laughs> <laughs> They've got a floor and a ceiling. Absolutely. I, I've got to tell you, there, no, whatever that's coming out, stop. <laughs> We're moving past the Elmer part of this discussion. There is that was a sticky situation we were getting out of. <laughs> Whoa. There is no small part of me that wants this horrible period of Orioles baseball to at least be the worst yeah. so that I can at least say I was there for the worst. It's, yeah. it's the same itch that was scratched with a 30 to three game. Yeah. It was the same aspect with like, uh, you know, starters being able to go so many games with not able to get through five innings and give up a certain amount of butter runs. I, I completely understand that fans want to be part of some historical moment um, to at least kind of landmark it for them in their mentality or, um, you know, their lifetime of saying, I was there when this happened is yeah. the best way to describe it. Also, yeah, that means 2022 is why not part two? Um, maybe possibly. Um, I'm not sure if I would go that far. Hey, hey, Jake, maybe it's a why bother. What do you call a horse that hits a pavement on the, on the highway? How are you going to get your Rudy into this? I'm not. I don't know. What do you call it? Rubber cement. <laughs> Uh, let's move along to loss number. I have to two. say the Catholic Charities of horse <laughs> racing is really going to hate this podcast. Uh, number two, uh, Jake, the Orioles made some moves, um, bringing a few folks up, designating folks for assignment. In essence, rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic, as it were, and the band played on. Uh, and the band played on. Uh, Michael Franco has been designated for assignment. Do you think he actually makes it to Norfolk? No, you don't. You think he just like I'm? I'm done for the season. No, I think he'll, he'll get claimed off waivers by who? I don't know. There's nobody. Have you seen everybody that the Orioles have optioned and are released? And they're just like, we're going to try to pass them through waivers. Nobody's picking them up, which just shows you how bad you have to be. Well, how bad do you have to be to get designated for assignment on this team? Really bad. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Franco is either going to say, I'm out. I, I'm, I'm electing free agency. I'm not going to play for the rest of the year, which I think is a smart thing yeah, for him to do. I wouldn't do it. Um, or he'll, he'll go to Bowie or Nofer. But what, what incentive is there for him to do it? I just, I like free agency and just say I'm taking my money and going home for the for the season. Yeah. Um, Kelvin Gutierrez is apparently coming back. Um, Brock says it'll be announced tomorrow. Um, but in the big news, Jemai Jones has finally had his contract selected, uh, and he is coming up to the big leagues. Okay. So the savior is here. Yeah, the savior is absolutely here. Now, I, we have talked about this. I'm glad he's here. I've been looking forward to him playing at the major league level. Um, he has somewhat cooled at AAA. Uh, that is a good way to put it. I believe Dylan Ak- uh, Atkinson posted this and basically pointed out that I think he's got like a 300 on base percentage and like a 670 OPS. Yeah, it was batting uh, 214. Yeah. So, uh, not great is the best way to put it. So yeah, I would definitely say that's some significant coolage. 
um, is the best way to put it. So, um, yeah. Um, it's almost like he is like, I don't know, a 17th prospect in the Orioles organization. But in reality, like, it's got to be a better option than whatever else we have, right? Like, why not look at it? Yeah, no, absolutely. And and again, you know, he'll be part of an infield full of, you know, uh, less well-known, somewhat exciting players. You know, with Urias and, I guess, Gutierrez or Mateo out there, that's a fun infield. It, it is. And that's I think it, it comes back down to, like, if we're looking at Pat Falaika and someone like that uh, and Michael Franco, like, I'd rather see Jermaine Jones up here. Um, am I expecting big things? Absolutely not. Um, but, like, Mateo is another one. Like, I wasn't expecting big things from him, and he's been intriguing. Urias is another one. Wasn't expecting big things from him. Um, he showed something. So I'm not expecting much from Jermaine Jones. I think I said this before when we drafted Jermaine Jones. I said Ryan Flaherty-esque, I think is what I called him. Um, and I still kind of hold to that given value at this given time. So you're saying that Jermaine Jones has a future in the uh, in the Padres organization as a coach? Uh, yes, right there with Bobby Dickerson. And Ryan Flaherty. And Ryan Flaherty, yes. All right, let's uh, let's go to loss number three. At this point, it becomes a streak. Yeah. Um, and, uh, let's, let's That's a good question. Is it a streak when it's two or three losses? Three. It's three. It's gotta be three. One game. But isn't one and then another one, isn't that a continuous basis? So don't you enter into a streak at that point? It's, it's. L- listen, if Jim Hunter taught me anything about Orioles baseball, if you hit a hit in one game and you come back the next game and you hit another hit, you have a two game hitting streak. No. No. <laughs> let's talk Little League. <laughs> yeah. The Orioles, uh, speaking of Little League, the Orioles have been announced as being one of the teams to play in the Little League Classic against the Red Sox in 2022. Um, What are your feelings on that, Scotty? Um, So I think it's pretty cool. Um, I'm I'm actually kind of excited for it. Uh, It will be an Orioles home game. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think it's fine. I'm not sure if I would go to the game. Like if I was offered a ticket, I'm not sure if I would go to that game. Um, but I think it's neat is the best way to describe it. I bet you would go in a heartbeat if they offered yeah, you tickets. Yeah, I think it'd be super fun. I, I think this kind of stuff is, is cool. I think, you know, the Field of Dreams game, I think the the Little League Classic, I think everything like this. All right, so can we pause for a second about the Field of Dreams game? Yes. So, like, I really wanted to hate the Field of Dreams game. Like, I really wanted to. I'm like, oh, like, 300 to, like, $1,200 tickets classic you know commercialization all over it but i watched it i loved it i love the ambiance i hate myself for it but that was a cool game like that was a really cool game i love that baseball does stuff like that that's yeah. the kind of crap that i think yeah. that the that I, the game needs... i hated myself for it i'm like i know what they're doing here and it's working and it's working and i i know exactly why it is it's like you know watching coca-cola put like polar bears and santa claus out there and be like i'm like you have no relationship to it but you're coming back to that nostalgia piece and just soaking me up for the money that i am offering you at this given moment now speaking of little leagues are are you a a fan of the little league world series i am a fan of little league world series i love little league world series and you know my kids at almost the perfect age um so it's it's fun watching with him I have to say, I've learned a lot through watching the broadcasts. And I have to be honest, I think I would like to see Little League World Series style broadcasts out of Masson. 
I think that that would improve my experience as an Orioles fan. Like when somebody bobbles a, a ball, you know, the announcers need to be like, oh, you know, he tried real hard. By the way, his favorite peanut butter is Skippy. Absolutely. Oh, uh, you know, he just struck out, but he had a crush on his fifth grade teacher That's once. Right. Yeah. You know. His favorite video game is Soul Calibur and stuff like that. Like, just absolutely ridiculous Favorite facts. actor is is Adam Sandler. There's a lot of Kevin Brown-esque uh, talents coming from the Little League announcer standpoint. I, I think that there's definitely something to be said. And I think, you know, when we look at the Orioles of 2022, we're going to start to see certain players pop up that potentially could be franchise players going forward. And I think we need to learn these useless facts about them in order to carve a story about them going forward. And and maybe some of those like intros, like, hi, my name is blank and I like blank. Absolutely. I, I, we need, we need more of that out, out of this, out of the major league game. There's one thing too, for literally, like it's always about the aspect of like the nostalgia and stuff like that, but it's also just about like going through the stands and watching like the parents and the kids and stuff like that. I think if we're doing an Orioles, uh, literally game, I think we've got to basically rehire Gary Thorne back for one game, give him as much ice cream as he wants, and we just have a camera set up watching Gary Thorne eat ice cream throughout the entire Little League game. I was I was sure that you were going to, we need more interviews with Trey Mancini's mom. That's, that's no. exactly where I thought that was nope. going. Nope. Nope. Just, just Gary Thorne eating ice cream. And away we go. <laughs> I, I really feel like that would enhance my experience. Enhance? Enhance. 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 I think it would be really fun. Um, ultimately, we know it's going to be on ESPN. We know it's going to get kind of drowned out. Um, but there could be a lot of fun had from that, is the best way to describe it. But Otani did a great job um, being kind of that cultural slash ambassador of the game, really relating with the kids. Uh, it was a fun game. Not as great as um, the Field of Dreams game, but still a really fun game. So I'm looking forward to seeing the Orioles and Red Sox play. I don't even care if the Orioles get demolished. I think it'll just be a fun atmosphere to watch a game he played in. I think if they pull some of the 12 years, 12 year olds up onto the roster, they'll, they'll stand a better chance. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, so loss number four, we, we talked about at the very beginning of this kind of segment of, you know, this bantering back and forth of, you know, whether the Orioles doing the right thing, the wrong thing, what is being a fan? What is the right way to refer a team? Yada, yada. Uh, and I, I keep being left with this aspect of asking myself this question of, are we as an Orioles fan in space going through an existential crisis? Isn't that like an evergreen question, though? It, it absolutely. Are we as Orioles fans going through an existential crisis? Absolutely. But I feel like this given moment with the given uh, events that have transpired um, are really coming back to an existentialism uh, aspect. So, again... If we're looking at typical 20th century philosophy, we've got existentialism and we've got nihilism. We definitely are not nihilistic, where like nothing matters, everything is for naught. Like, I don't know. I think a lot of us are feeling that way. I think some people are feeling that way, but I think it's also a basis of we are very much aware of the angst and everything like that. And we're trying to 
pin it towards something else. So there are plenty of games that go by where I think God is dead. That's true. Uh, So existentialism is a philosophy that emphasizes the uniqueness and isolation of the individual experience in a hostile or indifferent universe uh, regarding the human existence as unexplainable and stresses freedom of choice and responsibility for the consequences of one action. So in nihilism, it's the aspect of like, well, you're, you're danged if you do and danged if you don't. You know, you have no control over it. With existentialism, it's more of an aspect of we have put ourselves in this given scenario and we have to deal with the consequences that come about it with us coming into this given this given moment. Can I just point out it's not me, the social science guy that brought up existentialism? Oh, trust me. This is all about me, so there's no question. Uh, so like one of the first things I was looking at while I was thinking about this existential crisis is just walking through some of the various tenets of existentialism and whether or not we truly are experiencing this. So one basis is that existence precedes essence. And this is an individual um, in their existence cannot be perceived through preconceived or given categories uh, or in essence. So I definitely think if we're looking at the Orioles here um, and, and the fan base as a whole, we're not basically saying they are who we thought they were anymore. We're in essence saying, no, like they should be different because of this and that. And we're trying to frame this narrative of not being like a category such as the Rays or such as the Pirates or such as the Royals or such as the Mariners. We're like, no, we're different than all those other teams that have been historically bad and, you know, mid markets to small market teams. Like, we're a different beast because we are Baltimore and we like crabs. So we're different. So you're saying that as this tenet of existentialism, we are, we're trying to, live a reality that is that is in a category that we recognize we are, we are understand our, we are our own category so we can't be put into this bucket of small to mid-market teams and say i understand that the astros lost many seasons that doesn't apply to us like that's not the same thing so again we're going through this existential crisis of not you know in essence coming back and applying ourselves to these given categories where other teams have gone about doing this as well. Mm-hmm. And how does that make you feel? Um, uh, honestly, it just makes me feel like I'm compensating for something. Mm-hmm. 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 I'm just writing here. No big deal. So now we go into a classic bird's eye view issue of uh, existentialism, which is the absurd. Uh, the notion of the absurd is contains the idea that there is no meaning in the world beyond what meaning we give it. The meaningless also encompasses the amorality or the unfairness of the world. So, I mean, when I look at this, I think, well, this is classic bird's eye view. We don't give any meaning to this, to this podcast, yet you still turn on in on a weekly slash biweekly basis to listen to us rant uh, for a little over an hour and sometimes two hours if you're listening to the bevies. Um, but this meaningless that I'm talking about this or this unfairness, I think, is a very uh, interesting standpoint as it relates to us. We continue to watch the Baltimore Orioles. We continue to see them meander, um, do poorly during this 18-loss streak, and uh, – we're left with this basis of, you know, just the absurdity of this 18-law streak. There is no meaning in the world beyond what meaning we give it. Correct. I like that. Yeah. I like that. This team is bad. We don't need to, we don't need to name it no, bad. No, we don't, we don't need to name it bad or give it further justification. It's just, it is bad, and it encompasses everything that is wrong about being a fan of Birdland. Maybe I am going through an existential crisis. Next one is facticity. So this one is pretty simple. Um, 
but it's one's past is what it one is and that it co-constitutes its oneself with the current. And that's to say that one's past could not be ignored um, by that significant portion, but one's past is what it was and what it is, and to detach itself from oneself now would be, you know, irresponsible as it would be. So are we are we not detaching ourselves from the bad past? Or are we not detaching ourselves from the good past? So I think this is a situation where we can kind of go to a more recent aspect where we are unwilling to accept that there was a very good portion during 2012 to 2018 of, you know, the Dan Duquette, Buck Showalter area where we, in essence, eliminated the entire farm system. Like, we made choices in order to get to the point that we are. It's not like 2021 or 2019 or 2020 in essence, surrounds itself in a bubble, it's this basis of actions of the universe that we had taken have led us to the point that we are in for 2021. So to look at 2021 by itself is an aspect where we're suffering an existential crisis, where in reality, we should be looking both at the past and the future in order to figure out where truly we are in 2021. I'm beginning to not understand who I am as a person. (laughs) This is the Baltimore. (laughs) Uh, Next one is authenticity. Authenticity involves the idea that one has to create oneself and live in accordance with oneself. So I think this comes back to the Baltimore chip or the Baltimore chop of like everybody is against us. This kind of comes back to that, you know, absurd notion of the unfairness of the world. Um, And you're creating oneself by basically saying we should be able to succeed as Birdland and as the Baltimore Orioles fan base because – the Orioles have had success before, and we've got the grit in order to do so. I think I'm in trouble here. One of the last two that we're going to cover is definitely something that I think we are starting to, in essence, encompass during this existential crisis. The first one is angst and dread. So existential angst um, can be dread, anxiety, anguish. And it's a a term that normally comes from negative feelings arising from the experience um, of a given responsibility. So obviously we're starting to see this anguish and this dread basis starting to form on the basis out of this 18 loss streak. Here's the thing, though. Yeah. I think angst and dread never left us. I think, and look back to 2012, Mm -hmm. we watched a 93-win team, 92-win team. And we were constantly waiting for that other foot Mm. to fall. But on that basis, we were able to pair the past and the future at that given moment. So we weren't in crisis. Yes, there may have been angst and dread, but these other aspects of the facticity and absurd were not present. Mm. So you can always have angst and dread. I mean, that is the Jake English way of life is angst and dread. it, It quite is, yes. But again, that doesn't get you into existential angst where you're, in essence, having you know these negative feelings as it relates to uh, this kind of individuality moment in the given aspect and not pairing it to anything that surrounds you. Oh, man. My score sheet does not look good so far. And the final one we've got to talk about is despair, which I feel <laughs> like we have all seen on, on Ariel's Twitter. Um, in existentialism, it's more specifically a loss of hope in reaction to a breakdown in one or more defining qualities of oneself or identity. So, um, can I just go back? Yeah. <clears throat> At the beginning of this, you asked, are we as Orioles fans suffering an existential crisis? Correct. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, my bingo card is full. 
we are having an existential crisis. What do we do? So I think it comes back down to if we're thinking about this basis of the facticity and the authenticity, I think we have to come back and admit where we have come from and where we are going. So basically understanding the past and the future in order to be cognizant of the present, which is terrible. I mean, we're definitely suffering um, a tragedy, a trauma, as it were. But you have to know how you got to this tragedy or trauma or else you're just going to basically suffer in that angst. And it's going to be, you know, a spiral is the best way to put it. So I think it's okay to have angst and and dread and stuff like that. But you have to be able to tie it back to um, something as a related from a category standpoint. Also, this basis of, you know, categories in terms of the existence precedes essence, I think is an incredibly important basis where we do fit into the categories. The Baltimore Orioles are not some unique snowflake. We fit into the category of various small to mid-market teams that have had you know, some success and some failures, as it were. But it's not like what the Orioles are doing is that different compared to a lot of folks. Um, but people are collectively losing their mind because they're focusing on just the now, just this 18-game streak. And in essence, building uh, a mountain out of a molehill and basically not giving consideration to any other factors that could come back to it. They're just like, no, Mike Elias messed up. He should have gone out there and got free agents to push this team from being, you know, the 29th worst team in war to start the season to the 22nd worst team in terms of war to start the season. It's these kind of notions that, you know, when we don't look at the facts as it relates to uh, the tangential information in terms of the offseason or what the Orioles could have done or what they could have done with some of their prospects earlier this season, that... uh, it leads to um, um, some some logical fallacies popping up is the best way to put it. Scott, I was on vacation last week. Yes, and um, you know when I when I visit with family I haven't seen in a while, I'm always greeted with the same couple of questions. Mm-hmm. First one is Jake, what are the Orioles doing? Uh, and I and you know I never know how to answer that question in ways that doesn't involve sobbing. The second question <clears throat> is invariably, hey, are you still doing that podcast? And I always thank them for being such a loyal listener. Um, and then the the follow up question is, what do you even talk about? Yeah. How, what do you, what do you even do say about this team? And now I'm going to have to tell them that we talk about existentialism, existentialism and astrology. Absolutely. When they get really bad. Yeah. I mean, I think it is important. Again, if we are approaching any rebuild logically, is a rebuild is not a snapshot. A rebuild is not a snapshot where you can basically look at um, a given losing streak or even a given year. You have to look at the entire rebuild as it relates from start to finish. And even after this year and even going into 2022, the story will not have been written. You may be able to piece together information that is from the past and even in this 2021 season. But only up until the end of this rebuild will you be able to actually complete the entire story and create some aspect of merit or value and, in essence, make the determination. Beforehand, it would be like, well, let's go ahead and write history and make decrees um, before all the information was collected. Um, and you know, that's just generally a poor way um, to actually go about you know, leading um, or developing one's history going forward. This is not helping me uh, win the Flame Wars. No, not at all. 
Uh, if you want to win the Flame Wars, a few recommendations. Um, always use capital letters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just put your caps lock directly on. Um, always say, but I'm right. And they should have known that. Um, because obviously, if you know everything um, in, in from the past, in the current state, um, you should be a lot richer than you currently are. Um, and if you think you can do something better, that's great. You know, a really good way to do that is to document what you think should be done. Um, and then you can always come back in the future and say, hey, I said this should have been done nine months ago. So you're, again, you're tying back that aspect of the past from a categorical basis into a present aspect in order for you to basically be judged into a given category. Without that, in reality, you're just a snapshot that no one's going to remember. Just like this 18-game or 21-game losing streak. Ultimately, it's a snapshot. It doesn't really matter. Well, Scott, there is one situation that we do now have all the facts about. We do have all the facts for it. We have Alpha and Omega. Yes. Let's take a quick break. Come back and talk about it. All right. Yeah, coming off our last conversation, the book has closed now on Chris Davis. Chris Davis announced his retirement while we were gone. Most folks have given kind of their well wishes, have talked about it on their podcast, have done a few blog articles. But Jake, we have not got a chance to sit down and really reflect on Chris Davis uh, to this point um, and really make sense of you know, where we're at uh, with it, of you know thinking about his entire career coming through Baltimore from the Rangers organization um, and what he's going to be remembered for going forward as well. And like I said, I think it could be some very difficult conversations. So Jake, um, when Chris announced his retirement, I know I texted you, you were caught off guard a little bit that that announcement was made. Um, you know, reflecting back on it, what, what are you going to remember about Chris Davis? Well, you know, the thing is, is that I think that Chris Davis will be remembered as the worst contract the Orioles have ever given out. Correct. Um, it's going to be like an albatross, like yeah. around his neck is the best way to describe yeah. it. Like that'll be the first thing um, that if you say Chris Davis, it's the first thing that pops in your head is the best way to describe it. Right or wrong, it's what's associated from a, from a name mechanism to it. And I think that people that weren't there to see him play, that will be the only thing. The only thing. That yep. they associated with. But people that saw him play, there will be plenty that think about him, you know, being surly, refusing to change his approach, you know, fighting Brandon Hyde in, in the dugout, all of those things. I am, uh, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. Yep. And, and whereas, you know, I'm not an apologist in any way, shape or form. I don't think we lose anything by choosing to also remember the good things that Chris Davis brought to Baltimore and, you know, it, it seems really hard to remember at this point, one, because it's been so long, and, and two, because we're mired in just misery. How Existential crisis. Existential <laughs> crisis. How, um, you know, great Chris Davis was for, for periods of time as an Oriole. He was part of some of my favorite memories. He was part of 
the the comeback during the Cal mm-hmm. Statue game. He hit one of those dingers. He was huge in that game that they played against the Cardinals for the 60th anniversary. He yep. hit a home run that one too. He was an absolute monster in 2013. I mean, yep. historically good. Yeah. In 2013, he pitched at Fenway Park yep. and got a win in relief. He had so many fun absurd things that happened during a really great period of Orioles baseball. He played a competent first base. Remember, he also played right field and third base for a little while. He was a major piece of some really good, of the best Orioles team in a generation. Yeah. I mean, I think back to, again, we both have kids. We both have kids that we've taken to the stadium many times. And Chris Davis was definitely one of those players that my kids would get excited for um, when Chris Davis came to bat. And truth be told, I was in that same boat. I would be one of those situations where I knew by Chris Davis coming up, the game could change with him coming to the plate, that he could hit a home run. uh, It could be a two run or three run homer. And the game dynamic could completely change in that given moment with him coming to the plate. And that's the kind of player that you wanted. You wanted that player that could, in essence, change the way the story was. They would force someone like Rockabaka to be like, well, got to delete my article and start again from a new, um, you know, as, 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 as inconvenient as it is for rock, it is one of those situations where um, it's fun to not expect and knowing how the story is going to be written, just like we're currently mired in. But yeah, I agree, Jake, that, um, you know, I'll, I'm going to think back on Chris. I'm going to think more so about those moments of him coming up with um, people on base or, you know, him just coming up to the plate and just being knowing like Chris has a chance here to put it out of yard. And, you know, I think back to broken bat home runs. Um, I, I think back to some mammoth shots that he had um, and just a lot of walk off games. But I do agree with you that the first inclination that I will think about from Chris Davis is going to be, man, that was a really bad contract. And then I'm going to think about those good moments that he had in terms of um, the power hitting, um, the playful personality as well. I mean, I think back to 2012 with him lifting up Nate McLeod and literally carrying him around like a rag doll. Um, but I'm also going to think back to moments as well of like obviously having issues in 2014 with missing the playoffs as well um, and kind of a what-if scenario there. So I'm left with this basis of definitely a lot of good, definitely a lot of bad, and it's kind of a tipping of the scales, as it were, of where does this lead me? I still think the good outweighs the bad, but there's a lot of bad there. Sure. I mean, we haven't talked about the, what, 0 for 54 start. Yep. We've seen so many, you know, stare downs, strike three. I I, I get that. Yeah. I do. And and I'm not trying to whitewash the the Chris Davis experience for the, the entirety of his career. I, I think my point is it costs you nothing to choose to remember the good from sure. Chris Davis. As a fan, it costs you nothing. Yeah. Because the good was there. Right. I, I agree with you. There was there's enough good moments there to kind of reflect back on going forward. And and really, you know, the next thing I would say is that Chris Davis wasn't the difference between winning and losing after 2018. Right? Right. Chris Davis was not a factor in the clubs that we've seen over the last three or four years being good or not. So it almost doesn't matter. Right. I think the other interesting standpoint is, you know, we come back to that was a really bad contract. And we went into that offseason saying, if the Orioles can sign Chris Davis, they should try to sign him. 
But when the contract numbers came out, I said, the first thing I said was, that's a terrible contract. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there is no way that I'm paying someone that is a 31-year-old first baseman that kind of money because we've got historical data to basically back up that he is going to, in essence, not have that success. Maybe he has four more years, but he's not going to have seven more years. Uh, and certainly he had pretty much no years is the best way to put it. But I, I come back to this point of that's not on Chris Davis to a certain regard. That was on Orioles ownership and Orioles management that made that decision of saying, this is where we want to put our money. And, you know, part of that comes back to that whitewashing standpoint where Chris Davis is this, you know, white male um, with a pretty nasty chew habit, nice and burly, um, beautiful wife. Um, and he really resonates with the greater suburbs of Baltimore. Let, let's be honest. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. What you just said about, you know, not being Chris Davis's fault, I think is, is really important, right? Um, we talked earlier in the season about some of Matt, uh, Hunter Harvey's, yep. uh, not Matt Harvey's. We talked a lot about Matt Harvey. Yeah. Uh, we talked about some of Hunter Harvey's, uh, difficulties getting on the field and how we can't make that personal about the the player, right? We were really unhappy with how visceral and personal people got about, um, you know, Brian Roberts being unable to fulfill his contract. Chris Davis getting that massive contract wasn't his fault. Yeah. I wouldn't say it was his fault. I think the only thing that we can somewhat hold against him, and I don't even think it's this entirely basis of, like you mentioned earlier, there was a lot of stubbornness in terms of mm-hmm. not willing to change plate approach or plate discipline. So I think if the only negative I would come out of this from the contract basis is um, Chris Davis was not willing to adapt. And we have seen other players previously in the Orioles organization that are beloved. And I'm thinking back to Cal Ripken, who constantly changed batting stage stances, constantly moved positions in order to better address his athletic talents that were present as he got further and further along in age. And Chris Davis didn't really do that. It was almost like, I got signed for all this money. I'm going to go out of there and do what I need to do to basically justify my contract, as opposed to saying, what do I need to do in this moment in order to basically make it? Do I need to lose 30 pounds? Do I need to, in essence, learn how to bunt? I still felt like there was that aspect of a stubbornness um, that after the contract was signed, we never got past. Yeah, yeah, but but again, with all that, which you know, I don't ignore. Yep, which, which I do not, you know, wish away. Again, a lot of good. Th- this is this game is supposed to be fun, right? Right. This this is a, this is something that's supposed to bring us joy. And if, and if you can't, this get sounds jo- very angsty, by the way. If you can't get joy out of baseball, then go do something else, right? Right. Nope. And and so I choose as a as an Orioles fan to also remember and and largely remember the good that Chris Davis brought to the Orioles without, you know, without ignoring the rest of it. But I choose not to dwell on that part of his career. Right. I, I agree. So, Jake, I know this question has been popping up. I, I think there's a, a a good answer for this one. Um, Orioles Hall of Fame, Chris Davis, what do you what do you think? I I don't know. I mean – the thing about the Orioles Hall of Fame is that it's kind of watered down the fact that you have to have one every year. Right? Yes. <laughs> well, they have had a few seasons where they didn't do it. I think they've had two seasons where they didn't pick somebody. 
And and you know we're getting to the point where we're starting to induct players from the buckle, buckle up birds era. JJ Hardy made it. Jones is going to make it. Absolutely. Weeders is going to make it. I would assume Weeders makes it. Like I would be very surprised. Like Weeders is like the number two best catcher ever in the Orioles franchise. Like yeah. you have to assume Weeders gets in. And, and if that's your bar. Then I then I guess Davis has to make it. I think Davis has to make it specifically due to longevity. You know, getting an MLB home run crown. There is a lot of negative, like we talked about too. But I think there's enough good there during the Buckle Up Birds era that it can make a big difference. Let, let me put it this way: if he didn't get the green jacket, I wouldn't be offended. I wouldn't be offended. Um, I think there would be kind of like a well, that's odd is the best way to put it. Um, and I, and I still think this comes to the point of like, I think the only big negative is the contract. So I guess it still comes back to the question of, you know, in Chris's statement that he makes, he mentions that he's going to continue to work with the organization and do community development. I think that could be his saving grace. I think that, you know, people will learn to not forget the contract, but dampen the contract um, in the future um, with the right kind of community support and community organization going forward by the Davis family. Um, call me optimistic, but I do think that um, Orioles fans have a tendency to also look past just play on field and also look at what you're doing for the local community. Um, I think Chris could do a lot there in order to basically, um, I wouldn't say give him an Orioles great, but kind of be in that boog palesque kind of territory is the best way to put it in the orioles pretty good in the orioles pretty good like i said above average to pretty good like and i'm not sure if i would put jj hardy in that territory like i would say jj hardy was above average but i don't know if i would put him in the pretty good category but i could see chris davis entering into that boog pal territory um with the right kind of ah <sighs> interaction with the community and the fan base is the best way to put it. Well, here's hoping. Yeah. Fare thee well, Crush. It was nice knowing you. Uh, enjoy the life. Uh, enjoy your family. Um, and I hope to see you around the ballpark doing what you do um, and, and everything like that. We'll think about you every Bobby Benia day. Absolutely. Well, with that, um, why don't we go ahead and figure out who won Fantasy Boss this week? Um, it's been a while, but I think I got the numbers correct. It's rigged. It's rigged. All right, so the category uh, for the week of August 9th through the 16th was Dongs. Uh, I took Trey Mancini. You had taken Cedric Mullins, Jake. Unfortunately, it was a, a landslide of one to nothing. <laughs> With Trey Mancini having one home run versus Cedric Mullen zero. Uh, so that brings the fantasy ball score to eight to seven. So super close uh, going into the home stretch, as it were. So, Jake, uh, you get to pick this week uh, in terms of uh, who your, what your category is going to be. I don't even know what, what fantasy uh, category. I, I mean, you could just pick, are the Orioles going to win this week? Yes or no? No, I don't, I don't want it to be binary <laughs> like that. I feel like that doesn't work out for me. I want it to be weird. I want it to be obnoxious. 
Um, so let's do this. I want to know from you, Scott Magnus, who you think is going to strike out the most number of times as a batter in the next week. Hmm. Not percentage, right? straight up number of strikeouts. The amount of strikeouts. Yes. I am going to go ahead and I'm going to pick... I'm going to pick Anthony Santander. Oh, that's such a good pick. That's such a good pick. I was hoping I could squeeze that one through. Uh, I can't pick Michael Franco, correct? You can. You would lose. I, man, that's, I'm so disappointed that you you stole him from me. Uh, I'm going to pick, somebody's got to get a lot of at-bats. I'm going to go with uh, Ramon Urias. Ramon Urias is another great one. Uh, Over the past two weeks, he's supposed to be 35.9 k percentage um so yeah not great not great at all um and santander has been really hot as of late too so um i guess we'll see which one slumps the soonest and uh we'll figure out who k's the most in the upcoming week um with that um it's our favorite time we get to do the good the bad and the ugly for orioles baseball i think you mean the ugly the ugly and the ugly yeah this is going to be um this is going to be something God, I'm just realizing now that we have failed. We failed slightly with our notes. So, uh, Jake, it's time for the ugly, the uglier, and the ugliest. <laughs> All right, next week we might have to do that. Yeah. I'm prepared with the good, bad, and the ugly, but I feel like we should have gone ugly, uglier, and ugliest. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what this week transpires, but good chance next week is ugly, <laughs> uglier, and ugliest. Oh, this is existential dread. Um, okay. My good for this week is going to go to Jorge Mateo. He had a 162 weighted runs creative plus with a 406 Woba. But I will say that he did all that with a 600 Babip. The dragon was with him. The dragon is with him. There's no question about it. Jake, my good for the week is the obvious one. It's Jake English going away from vacation <laughs> and not being about to see a, a single Orioles baseball game. Jake English, you lucky man, you. So we went to North Carolina, yeah. and I was stoked because it was still Masson territory. Yep. Um, nobody could figure out how to use the television. They're just like, what is Masson? They, no, there were <clears throat> there were uh, two, four, six, eight. There were ten adults in the house. Mm-hmm. None of us could figure out how to hook up the cable. Well, none of us. There you go. So, yes, we missed out on, on all the baseball. Drat. Uh, the bad this week, my bad is going to go to Austin Hayes. Uh, Austin had a rough week. He had a negative 23 weighted runs created plus in 25 plate appearances. He mustered four hits and a walk. Yikes. Yikes. Jake, my bad for the week is going to be, I went to the Ironbirds game on Saturday. Love going to minor league baseball games, but I was a little surprised to see the attendance numbers. And I pulled up the attendance numbers for the past few years for the Ironbirds, but I was kind of expecting a bigger crowd out there. As we know, the Ironbirds are now the single A affiliate, kind of replacing the Frederick Keys. And when I got there on Saturday night, beautiful night, uh, there's around 2,000 people there. Seems like a pretty small crowd. I was like, well, it was fireworks night the night beforehand, and there's another promotion the next day with kids around the bases. Maybe they'll have bigger crowds those nights. 3,400 people on a Friday night to watch fireworks. 
when I think back to Frederick and I'm thinking back to those numbers of like 5,000 to 6,000, and I look at the Iron Bird's average attendance in the past few years of 3,200, 3,400, one makes me wonder, has the nostalgia or the kind of fun factor of going to an Iron Bird's game in Aberdeen waned at this point in Harford County? I think, I think it was just so hot. So hot. I mean, it was like so 80 hot. degrees. I think it's just people going to the Outer Banks and just not going to the Iron Birds, but that's just me. But maybe so, maybe it's because people up here can figure out how to use the television. Yeah, that's a possibility. Iron Birds did a great job, by the way, uh, in terms of getting together the ticket packages. Um, you know, they did a great job with that. I was just surprised on how lightly attended the stadium was. You mentioned there was another uh, promotion. Was it Cowboy Monkey Rodeo? It was not. That's, Nothing that's that why. good. That's why. Uh, honestly, I kept watching the, um, we'll call it the Jumbotron and some of the... Um, the Mediumtron. Yeah, we'll, we'll call it the the, the showcases during the, the middle innings. And um wasn't that impressed, honestly. Like... This has to be, by the way, the most self-referential podcast on the face of the planet. There's no question. <laughs> All right. Uh, my ugly for this week, I know this is a cop-out, but I'm just going to gesture vaguely at the state of the Baltimore yeah, I, Orioles. I'm in the same boat here. Like I, The general – this is why I didn't pick any players because in reality, everything with the Baltimore Orioles right now is ugly. There is nothing, nothing to like. Like I said, there isn't even a bad. It's just – it is literally just kind of floating through this this misery and woe until we get to something that is resembling of decent baseball. And I'm not I'm not mad about it, right? And I'm not uh, I'm not angsty about it. You, you know, we've been having lots of conversations with people on Twitter who are oh angry about extremely. it. Extremely, I would say I'm not even sure if I'm apathetic. It's almost like I'm aware. That it was going to be ugly. Yeah. Um, why are you angry that it's ugly? It's like, um, it's like going in and being like, "Hey, I'm doing Botox surgery, and I got this coupon for twenty percent off, but it's on Route 40. Like, this is gonna be a great thing." And then you come out with a bad Botox surgery. It's just like, well, you should have expected what was going to happen here. Like, they are who we thought they were. They are who we thought they were. I mean, this is not surprising. Yes. It is frustrating to see, you know, a 14-game losing streak early in the season and now an 18-plus losing game streak um, later in the season. But again, we came into the season saying the Orioles are probably going to be around a 60-win team. We'll call it 60-plus or minus five wins. So to come back and be like, oh, I can't believe the Orioles are doing this. It's just like, guys, like, in reality, like, what were you expecting? But having said all that, even though I'm not angry about it, I can still recognize the fact that this is ugly. Oh, it's terrible baseball. I mean, it's absolutely horrible baseball. Um, and I still think this comes back down to you can follow the team. You can root for the team. They can still be your home team. But it doesn't mean you have to completely succumb to watching all nine innings, following it. And that's why my good for you this week was, Jacob, you just kind of stepping back and not – in essence, living or dying with Orioles baseball, not having to put that white noise on the background and further explain to you, your family of like, yep, here's why the Orioles are doing what they're doing. Instead, it's just like, they're there. Let's just continue to go past the car crash. And eventually it will be cleaned up by the hazmat crew, but it eventually will be cleaned up. 
So glad you didn't go back for the horse. No, no. The horse has been cleaned up and taken away by the glue truck at this point. All right. The Orioles are ugly. The Orioles are ugly. The Orioles are ugly. Scott, I think it's time that we blow the safe. So, Jake, um, you mentioned a lot. There's been this whole basis of people yelling at each other and stuff like that. But I, I, I kind of want to come back to something that's probably a bit more important, which is um, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. And, and it's super important that we are kind of following this. You know, as of today, the FDA finally came out and said, yep, the Pfizer shot is you know, completely safe. It's good to go. It's completely approved by the FDA going forward, which leaves me in the business of saying, folks, go get your shot. Encourage people to go get the shot. I know it's a difficult conversation, but it's important uh, that those difficult conversations are had. Look, uh, 2021 and equally so in 2020 was the year of difficult conversations. You as a Baltimore Orioles fan should be good with difficult conversations. So what I'm asking you to do is you know, step away from Twitter, step away from having that keyboard commando basis as it relates to talking to uh, the Birdland verse and everything like that and talking about like, should Elias should have gone out and got Carlos Rondon, even though Carlos Rondon was never going to come here. Instead, ask people like, hey, you're vaccinated. It's not an inappropriate conversation or commentary. It's just, you know, good aspect. It's like, it's like hey, did you see the Baltimore Orioles game? And if they haven't, ask them, why? Why have you not gotten the vaccine? It's not a impolite aspect. You're not violating any HIPAA programs, uh, even though Lamar Jackson might be saying so. Um, go and basically push them and just say, hey, what's your excuse now? Let's get vaccinated and uh, let's move on past this. If anything that we have seen from the recent data that has come out as of recently with the Delta variant um, from countries such as Israel, having antibodies present within the body at this given moment is one of the best ways um, to deal with it. And one of the easiest way to do that is, of course, being vaccinated. Sure, you can get monoclonal antibodies and other aspects in the future, but the easiest thing that we're all going to get through with this, including with the upcoming school year that both my wife and Jake's wife is going to be attending, is to go and get the shot. So in this rare instance, I'm agreeing with Governor Larry Hogan. Get the dang shot. It's as simple as that. Wise words from Scott Magnus. He would I, like, and Governor Larry Hogan. He would like to, Governor Larry Hogan would like you to all be fully vaxxed and waxed. Yes, absolutely. And that, that is our show. Remember that you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Birds are available. Birds Eye View is available for download wherever it is to get your podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback. It encourages other people to listen for the first time. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us on social media everywhere, but the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at birdseyeview, B-A-L. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you all a fond adieu-adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Please go out there and get their shot. Also, if you're immunocompromised, 
Go and get your booster shot. They're available right now at any of your local pharmacies. You do not need a doctor's note in order to get that third shot. Um, Be safe out there. Mask up, especially in indoors right now. And let's go O's. Did you have a good vacation in the Outer Banks? At least amazing. Good. It was amazing. What's the best drink you had? There was a lot of vodka. Michelob? Oh, a lot of vodka. Gotcha. Okay, that's that's better than Michelob. I came back like six shades darker. Well, that's good. You look like Jim Palmer. Still pale. still here it's over go home go